Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We're brought to you today by Gabby. And we actually have a good martini today, Jim, so that's nice. We also have two crazy martinis, though, so buckle up for those. Jim, let's start with the good. And if this hadn't happened, it would have been really depressing. Seattle's got a lot of problems, but uh, having Jenny Durkin as the mayor isn't going to be one of them fairly soon. Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin, according to the Free Beacon, says will not seek re-election next year. She announced this yesterday. She said she made the decision to focus on fighting the coronavirus pandemic instead of campaigning. Durkin's decision not to seek a second term also comes less than one week after she signed off on a massive police budget cut. The Seattle City Council passed the cut at the end of November in response to months of anti-police protests. Of course, the number of police officers on the force has dwindled by dozens since the city basically hung them out to dry. You might remember uh, the black female police chief, Carmen Best, resigning because the city wouldn't support them. And of course, uh, her uh, crowning achievement was to do nothing about the CHOP or CHAZ this summer, the Capitol Hill neighborhood autonomous zone or occupied property, whatever it was called at the time. And so basically lawlessness reigning supreme, business owners ignored, uh, trying to get a police presence so they could keep their doors open and so forth. So Jim, if there's anybody who doesn't deserve to still hold public office, it's Jenny Durkin. I'm not sure Seattle will end up doing a whole lot better as a replacement, but uh, Jenny Durkin is leaving and that's only good. You know, Greg, it wasn't that long ago, Seattle was one of my favorite cities. And, you know, maybe this is shaped by growing up in the 1990s. I still remember the cover of Newsweek magazine that had Michael Kinsley, who had gone out to Seattle to start up some sort of Microsoft-backed magazine on the web. It wasn't even going to have a paper version called Slate. And this probably was the glory days of like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and the grunge scene. But the, the, the attitude, I think the cover of the magazine said something like, everybody's moving to Seattle. And for a while, the Pacific Northwest and this particular city was kind of seen as where the future was happening, not just because of Microsoft and kind of the tech explosion, but, you know, everything from arts and uh, um, it always had this very scenic environment as long as you could stand the rain. And, you know, even the locals joke the rain wasn't that bad. Starbucks, you know, getting its, its start there. You know, Seattle used to be a, a plausible claim of saying that it was where America was going. And I think now if we said America, Seattle is where America is going, we would want to veer the car into a U-turn and drive as fast as, as far away from it as possible. Because it, you know, Durkin literally like lost control of her city for a stretch this summer. They basically seceded and tried to run some sort of, you know, I don't know if you would call it a neo-anarchist uh, state or, or a... Uh, ruled by mob, but you know, it basically was a colossal failure. And it's a good sign that Durkin will not be returning to the job. It's kind of fascinating that uh, uh, I've heard some folks and, and you know, even some Seattle Democrats say that you know, Durkin didn't actually like doing the job of mayor. Um, I'm looking at an article in The Stranger where a local political consultant said, quote, the only time Durkin seemed to enjoy being Mainer, Wiener said, was when she was standing firm against Trump, not when she was making policy decisions or interacting with constituents. Greg, I'm going to give you this point, kind of politics 101. If you don't like making policy decisions or interacting with constituents, don't run for office. <laughs> Want to be a pundit? Go be a pundit, right? I just don't, you know, uh, it's kind of fascinating. We've seen a lot of failures in leadership in this country over the past year. There's, you know, we've seen them at the federal level. We've seen them at the state level. 
But we've seen some particularly egregious examples at the local level. And I was just going to say in my little uh, opening discussion about Seattle, people of Seattle, you have a choice. You, you don't have to live like this. You don't have to accept a colossal, a, you know, city officials who are afraid to enforce the law, afraid to protect businesses from, uh, from looters and from violence, um, who, who accept an exploding homeless population. You know, look, you, you guys once had your act together not that long ago. You once saw big corporations like Amazon and Microsoft, not as the enemies who needed to be subdued and destroyed, as certain you know, city officials seem to think. But you once saw them as allies in building a successful economy where people could get good jobs and live their dreams. So Seattle, you, you don't have to live like this. I, I say this out of love. I say this out of appreciation. Uh, I hope things turn around in Seattle. I hope that there is a better successor than, than Dirk, and it's kind of hard they believe they could get worse. Uh, but we'll see how things shake out. But once again, kind of a life lesson, people. If you want to be a mayor, be ready to make policy decisions and interact with constituents because that's kind of the job. Jim, I want to keep this the good martini, so I'm going to ask this follow-up in the most optimistic way possible. Is there a chance that this is an indication that some cities and maybe even some city leaders have learned their lesson from ignoring destructive protests uh, and other derelictions of duty from this year, or are we going to keep seeing the same thing? Well, it certainly doesn't seem to be a, a step to great success, whether you're looking at Portland, whether you're looking at de Blasio in New York City, whether you're looking at Lightfoot in, in Chicago. I don't think any of these elected officials have risen to greater prominence and celebration and greater public support because of all this. So I, I, it's, it's premature. I don't want to say, oh, okay, we've beaten this, it's done. Um, but certainly, I, I think it's very, you know, it's very clear that though mayors who have pursued this course of action have not prospered and have not gotten the uh, greater heights of popularity and success and adoration that I think they hoped they were going to get from having this kid glove treatment of rioters and things like that. No, and that's exactly right. And I think it's a point you made either yesterday or, or sometime last week, and that's that you get better government when you have competitive races, even if one side generally wins more than the other, the idea that you could lose usually leads to better performance in office. But in these heavily democratic cities, where as long as you can win the primary, you're good to go, it leads to really stupid decisions a lot of times. And unfortunately, regardless of who's in office, the idea that you don't think you can possibly be removed by the voters means things don't necessarily get better. Hopefully that changes soon in some of these cities. All right, let's talk about other good news, and that is Gabby. Look, you're doing a lot of shopping these days, a lot of it online. Your eyes are probably glazing over. The last thing you need to do is spend a lot of hours figuring out whether you can save any money on your car insurance or your homeowner's insurance. Well, the good news is you don't have to because of Gabby, because Gabby does all the work for you in just a few minutes. And get this, Gabby customers save $961 per year on average. Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples-to-apples -apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive, Nationwide, and Travelers. You just link your current insurance account, and in just minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage that you currently have. You know, like Greg mentioned earlier, Gabby customers save $961 per year on average. I bet that would be nice to have in your pocket every year. And if they can't find you savings, they'll let you know so that you can relax knowing that you have the best rate out there and they will never sell your information so you'll never have to deal with annoying spam or robocalls from them. 
Yeah, as long as Congress uh, can't get its act together on COVID relief, that $961 will come in pretty handy. But the truth of the speed of this is, is what I really want to point out here as well. In addition to the money you can save, there is about 10 quick prompts here. You just pump in information that you already know, your address, your age, your zip code, and things like that. Uh, eventually, you link to your current insurance account, and it compares everything you can get from other companies for the exact same coverage and you can see how much you save. Uh, and if you can't save a whole lot and you're happy with what you've got and it's still a good deal, that's good to know as well. So the bottom line is though, you're probably overpaying on car and homeowners insurance. See how much Gabby can save you. It's totally free to check and there's no obligation. Just go to gabby.com slash martini, G-A-B-I.com slash martini, gabby.com slash martini. All right, Jim. It's hopping the way back machine all the way back to uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving when uh, one of the gifts I gave, I think was gift certificates or something like that for uh, people traveling to Iowa and New Hampshire getting ready to run in 2024. And we both groaned that it was way too early to even think about that. And even, you know, early 2023 seemed way too soon. Well, guess what? The early stages are already being set for this campaign. We've talked about how Tom Cotton has done some things. Rick Scott's done a few things. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan is out with a new video. He's also out with what appears to be a new pack called An America United. And uh, he's got this very Reagan-esque video that goes along with it that talks about bringing America together and all sorts of other beautiful platitudes that you do this far in front of a, a campaign so you don't have to get specific and lose a lot of support. Here's a little snippet from the video. I, for one, refuse to give in and accept that anger has taken the place of the common good. I refuse to give up and accept that the best days of the GOP and of America are a thing of past. I come from get to work and get things done school of politics, and I'll work with anyone who wants to do the people's business. I still believe that the party of Lincoln and Reagan is the last best hope for our nation. So Jim, I can hear your sigh, even though your mic was muted during the video there. Uh, we're already talking about potential candidates for 2024 and the 2020 election still haven't been uh, resolved in some cases. So what do you make of uh, Larry Hogan not just really dipping his toe in the water here? I think this is a pretty overt statement that uh, he's jumping in cannonball style in 2024. And he will probably, uh, actually, I would say he'd fly about as well as a cannonball, except cannonballs actually do fly for a while. Uh, so maybe he'll say he'll sink like a cannonball tossed to the pool. Maybe he's looking at the John Delaney strategy of the past cycle. For people who have forgotten, John Delaney was a congressman from Maryland. I kept thinking he was from Delaware because he had a beach house there. But no, Delaney was a House member from Maryland who ran for president. You may remember him as that bald guy in one of the first early debates who said, wait a minute, why are we trying to take away health insurance for people who are, who are happy with the coverage they have? Um, and then getting scolded by Elizabeth Warren for not being ambitious enough. John Delaney is a real human being and he exists, people. I, I know there's a lot of people who thinks he's mythical, that he's probably polling a little bit below Irving Schmidlap. Um, but no, he was a real guy. And he started running way back in early 2017. It didn't do him any good. Now, Larry Hogan is better known than John Delaney is. I actually kind of like Larry Hogan, at least as far as Maryland governors go. But he basically, I think this, he may have thought about running for president in 2024 and running in the aftermath of Trump losing in a landslide. Now, Trump is losing the popular vote by a sizable margin. 
but he came within, you know, 2% or so in a couple of states that could him above 270 electoral votes. And so this wasn't the sweeping coast-to-coast, top-to-bottom rebuke um, of Trump that I think Hogan would have found a better or more advantageous environment to be running in as the, you know, as a quote-unquote moderate Republican. Um, I don't know if Larry Hogan is that extraordinarily moderate or whether it's just a matter of, look, he's got a very democratic state with a very democratic state legislature. He managed to win in 2014, running against tax increases. He managed to win re-election. Um, in the middle of all that, he was diagnosed with cancer and managed to beat that. And I think we should all be you know, happy about that. I, I don't think he's a bad governor, but I don't think he's necessarily, certainly he's not what the Republican Party is clamoring for at this exact second. And I'm not sure what the party is going to be looking for from, let's say, late 2022, early 2023, when most campaigns will really start to assemble. You know, by the end of 2023, it'll be really be the decision. God knows what the situation in the country is going to be like then. We may not even have a President Biden by then. It might be President Kamala Harris. It could be a very different set of circumstances. But I just have a hard time seeing a scenario in which the Republican Party is just yearning for somebody like Larry Hogan. I don't think he's quite as bad as John Kasich. That's not a high bar to clear. (laughs) Um, The John Huntsman, the John McCain uh, consultant, John Weaver (laughs) type guy. But, you know, if Larry Hogan isn't the Lincoln Project, he's not that far from it. He's pretty explicitly anti-Trump. He has not tried to move very much on uh, abortion laws in his state. Uh, That's, you know, to do so, I think probably would be political suicide in the state of Maryland, but that's not really where most of the Republican Party is. Um, and I don't know if Larry Hogan has much of a populist, you know, bone in his body. I, I think he's kind of a, he, he, you know, like it or not, he is going to be perceived as the establishment. He can try to adjust that image of it between now and when he actually starts running. But I, I just don't see a lot of fertile fields for, for, these, for what he wants to plant here. And uh, the other complication is, dude, it's December 8th. 2020. <laughs> Give us a break. Let us relax. Let us stop thinking about presidential campaigns because I think the Delaney experience shows you getting in really early doesn't necessarily help you that well. And for that matter, the Deval Patrick experience should teach you getting in really, really late doesn't really do you that much good either. Ah, that's exactly right. Is it a Maryland thing? Because, you know, Delaney was a Maryland congressman. He gets in in the late spring, early summer of 2017. Let's be sure that that's clear. And now you got Larry Hogan uh, clearly making waves here before we even have a change of administration. So my guess is, Jim, that uh, we're going to have the next Maryland presidential candidate for the following cycle announce their 2028 bid before Election Day in 2024. Is that where we're headed here? Could very well be. And just, you know, the other thing I'm kind of thinking about as I think through what I know of Larry Hogan, I wrote an article about him from the magazine a couple of years back. Look, for conservatives, he has blocked a lot of really bad ideas that came out of the Democratic-controlled Maryland state legislature. And good for him. That's, That's what I expect a Republican governor to do in a deep blue state or something like that. He hasn't had a Republican state legislature, so he hasn't really been able to get a great deal of his agenda enacted. And that's, that's okay. You know, he can't control the state legislature, but I just don't, I don't know if that's what you run for president on. I don't know if that's because your first thought would be, well, what have you done as governor? And then the second thought would be, well, okay, if you don't have a lot if Donald Trump didn't have a lot of accomplishments in government when he ran, but he also had the advantage of being Donald Trump, right? 100% name ID and a personality that bursts off the stage and all of his rallies turn until it feels like the circus is coming to town. Larry Hogan is not that. 
Larry Hogan, I wouldn't say, I'm not even going to say my snarky whirling dervish of raw political charisma because I think Larry Hogan is likable, pleasant, competent, um, but that generally doesn't stand out. And if I, you know, at this point, it's very likely one of two things will happen. Either Trump will freeze the state, the, the, the field, and everyone will be too afraid to run against him if he chooses to run again in 2024. Or at some point between now and then, he decides he doesn't want to run in 2024. And then I think you'll have a stampede of candidates. And I just don't know how Larry Hogan you know, stands out in that crowd. So, Governor Hogan, I wish you well, but uh, I'm not quite sure I follow the strategy you're following here. Now, and, and as you said, his uh, very vocal stance on Trump is not going to help him in a primary, I think, whether Trump uh, runs or not. Uh, I will say one thing about the Trumps, uh, whether you like their Twitter accounts or not. There was a poll out the other day about possible Republican candidates in 2024. Again, way too early. Uh, President Trump uh, led the pack around 35 percent, kind of where he was in the primary four years ago. Then there was Pence around 18 or 19. And then in third place was Don Jr. around, I think, 11 percent maybe. And then further down in the pack in the mid single digits was Ivanka. And then Don Jr. retweets the poll and goes, wow, this is going to be an awkward Christmas dinner. <laughs> you know, it's going to be really bad is when the various Trump siblings start running attack ads against each other. <laughs> oh, man. 2024. It can wait, man. It can wait. Hey, guys, it's Mock and Daisy from the Chicks on the Right, and we're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. If you've been stressed lately with the information overload on social media or just don't feel like anything in the news makes sense anymore, don't worry, because we're here to clear things up. Every week, we discuss topics like cancel culture, national crisis, what's happening to our new generations. And if you're just plain tired of people trying to tell you what to do or how to live your life, we tackle that, too. Find out more by going to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to leave a comment or review and subscribe. All right, let's get on to our final crazy martini, which actually has a good ending, but let's uh, set the stage here. This is at a mall, I believe in Illinois, since uh, the family's from Illinois. So uh, the mom brings the young boy to see Santa. Now the kid can't sit on Santa's lap because of COVID. So there's uh, this table in between Santa and the child. And the child has a very clear idea of what he wants for Christmas, but Santa sadly is having none of it. What? No, I, no, no guns. Nerf guns. No, not even a Nerf gun. No, if, you, if your dad wants to get it for you, that's fine, but I can't bring it to you. But what else would you like? So Jim, the kid wants a Nerf gun. Santa says no guns. The mom says, no, 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 a Nerf gun. Oh, no, can't bring Nerf guns either. Sorry, maybe your dad can get you that. And the kid dissolves into tears. Jim, the good news is that this Santa has now been fired and the mall actually bought the kid a Nerf gun. But I mean, how steeped in your politics do you have to be to flip out on a small kid who may not even be like kindergarten age uh, when he just wants a Nerf gun? You know, Greg, when I first heard about this uh, story spreading on social media, my suspicion was that it was staged. It just seemed too perfect an example of people's partisan fury infecting, maybe an appropriate word choice, uh, <laughs> a circumstance in which politics should not be there. Uh, yeah, obviously everybody started making their a Christmas story jokes and you'll shoot your eye out and stuff like that. But if you're a Santa, your job is to say something like, oh, well, I'll see what I can do about that and just move on to something else the kid wants, right? You're, you're, you're not there to lecture the kid. 
other than to say, oh, well, maybe hope you've been good this year. You know, you're not supposed to, uh, you know, lecture the parents. You are not there to enact a political agenda because you are because you are Santa Claus, right? You are Saint Nick, not President Nick, not Senator Nick, not any of those other things. No one asked you for your political views, and your job is not to make the kids cry. If you've ever taken your kids to a shopping mall, Santa, you know the kids are crying. Little kids are crying anyway, right? So that's you know, um, it was so perfect it almost seemed like uh, somebody trying to do this to go viral and end up on talk shows or something like that. Apparently, does apparently this generally was a case, and I just would urge that shopping mall to maybe vet your Santas a little more carefully um, than you're doing. Unemployment's high. You should not have that hard a time finding a better Santa than this guy. Um, but all in all, look, depressing that it happened. And the second thing is, Greg, you have daughters. I have sons. Yes, they have, they have a small Nerf arsenal. It is not because I've ever encouraged them or they've heard me talking to Uncle Cam on, on NRA News or anything <laughs> like that. It's, it's going to surprise you. I, I am one of those folks who thinks that this is often innate. Maybe not. And if your child is different, fine. God bless you. I hope everything's fine. Your kids are probably going to turn out great. But if you give kids Legos, they will build guns out of Legos. If you give kids blocks, they will, you, you, you give a kid a Barbie, a lot of boys will figure out a way to bend the Barbie in the shape of a gun, and then they will run around playing cowboys and, well, cowboys and Native Americans these days, um, <laughs> or cops and robbers, or I'm sorry, cops and you know uh, those who are arrested but not yet convicted in a court of law before a jury of their peers, any of the other traditional <laughs> G.I. Joe, Transformers, Star Wars, boys like playing stuff, shooting with each other. And the Nerf people are pretty darn good with making stuff that don't actually hurt when they shoot you. On the in fine print at the bottom of the commercial, it will say things like "Don't aim for the eyes," and of course, every boy will then start aiming for the eyes. Um, but this is just a fact of life, and no one asks this. You know, like if you if you've got moral objections to certain toys, because I got to tell you, I, I do have moral objections to certain toys. It's somehow they end up in my house anyway. Do you know what toy I object to, Greg? What? So somewhere in the Lego sets of Chima, they managed to devise types of Lego pieces that somehow have a pointy part sticking up, no matter how they fall on a, on a carpet or on a, hall, <laughs> on a hallway floor. Meaning no matter how it goes down, it's going to have something and you will step on it in a barefoot in the middle of the night. And you will need to you know, somehow suppress your scream as you're trying to move Christmas presents around or something like that. Uh, so look, if you have an objection to a certain kind of toy, don't take a job as a shopping mall Santa. Greg, 2020 cannot end fast enough. I have three quick thoughts here, Jim. First of all, this is the uh, most politically disgusting Santa since Cosmo Kramer was spouting communist <laughs> manifesto epithets on Seinfeld on a classic episode I encourage everyone to check out at some point. Secondly, I do have two daughters and they both got Nerf guns for their birthdays this year because- uh, That's good. You know, you're, yeah, you're, exactly. You're, you're showing them the importance of responsible Nerf gun ownership. <laughs> I think we got some work to do on that because I got John Wilkes booth by one of them uh, while I was sitting on the couch. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, so, you know, my wife had picked out something nice, but, you know, very much on the girl side for, uh, for one of them. I'm like, I mean, that could be from both of us, but I feel like the dad's got to get him something a little more different than that, right? So I went and got, got the Nerf gun. Uh, so one of them had a Nerf gun and one of them didn't. So the next birthday, of course, and now everybody's got a Nerf gun. So, and Jim, just to show you how far Santa has changed in the last 32 years, 32 years ago, Christmas 1988, Santa literally said, now I have a machine gun. Ho, <laughs> ho, ho. 
whole new world a generation later. Greg, how many people, the moment they heard one of our martinis was going to be about a shopping mall Santa, said, up oh, a Die Hard reference is going to come at some point. <laughs> Jim, Jim and Greg's favorite time of year. You know us so well, listeners, and we love you. We love you for that. Uh, Jim, it has a nice ending. So many things this year haven't. So this actually has a, a nice ending. Uh, the kid's got his Nerf gun. Merry Christmas to him, and I'll see you tomorrow. Yippee-ki-yay, everyone. We'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget about Gabby. Save money on your insurance. Gabby.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Also, we uh, love your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. You can also get us on those home devices. Just say play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great day and join us Wednesday on the next Three Martini Lunch. <laughs>